you look up the word truth in the dictionary, it reads, that which is true or in accordance with fact or reality. And a second definition, a fact or belief that is accepted as true. It's that second definition that is most compelling. This means something that is fake can absolutely be perceived and believed as true. Until proven wrong, of course. But as technology gets smarter and smarter, wrong is getting harder and harder to spot. We've seen deepfakes edge closer to reality, news stories shared that look like proper editorial, and identity theft allowing billions of dollars in transactions to go unaccounted for each year. As we evolve faster and tech breakthroughs continue to happen at an exponential rate, we uncover more and more truths that yesterday were simply considered fiction, or even something we didn't even know we didn't know. And this episode, Sam calls out how the truth is in a constant state of flux. One of the very early technologies that we developed, the telescope, changed the truth. It used to be true that the sun went around the Earth. And then when we discovered the telescope, we found out that we're actually going around it. And a lot of people didn't want to believe that truth. They didn't want to believe it. The internet has given everyone a voice, allowing instant global communication with one side effect. There's no official truthometer. If you have an internet connection, you have all the tools you need to create a truth. Just like Uber Butler did, a vice reporter who gamed TripAdvisor to create the number one restaurant in London, with a twist. The Shed is the number one rated restaurant in London. You've got every foodie, celebrity and blogger in the city trying to get a table. But the problem is, until now, it didn't exist. And we couldn't do an episode on the future of truth without looking back at the US election, where the truth was labelled false and falsehoods were claimed as the truth. And if anyone is going to talk to this with an open, balanced point of view, it's Emmy Award-winning, best-selling author and reporter Cheryl Atkinson. We discussed the wash-up after the 2016 election and how it was arguably won and lost on playing up fake news and the scary reality that we are all actually being played. I mean, think of it, there are literally thousands of legitimate news stories that could be reported in a given day and an infinite number of ways to report them. When everybody's on the same page, it might be the result of an organised campaign. My name is Tommy McCubbin, and this is Future Sandwich, episode 22, The Future of Truth. We live in a world where the facts are under attack from every angle, and technology accelerates something that is packaged up as the truth and spreads it as fact. This episode we ask, is this something that will eventually change or something we simply have to learn how to live with? First, let's hear from futurist and author Steve Sammartino. You know what's funny about technology? It kind of changes the truth. What was fantasy or just couldn't be real, technology changes that when something new arrives and we get a new tool. Sometimes we can make things that would have seemed fake well, sometimes we can understand things that we could never have understood. And so the truth is in this constant state of flux where what's true today will be really different from what was true yesterday. One of the very early technologies that we developed, the telescope, changed the truth. It used to be true that the sun went around the earth. And then when we discovered the telescope, we found out that we're actually going around it. And a lot of people didn't want to believe that truth. They didn't want to believe it. So technology and what's real and what's fake and what's true 
have this really interesting historical relationship. So when it comes to business, fake isn't new either. I mean, we only have to think back to the 1980s and an era of people making fake Reeboks. And in the 90s, people buying haute couture handbergs that were fake down at the local stall. And the weird thing about that is that people knew those things were fake and they bought them anyway. I mean, sometimes they'd be passed off as the real thing and people would get more money, but humans are kind of weird. Sometimes we will buy the lies on purpose and buy into it. And that's why fake is an interesting topic. It isn't just a matter of us saying, well, this is real and that other thing isn't, that was the fake one. And then, you know, having that delineation where we know which things are real and which things are fake actually makes the fake thing go away. It doesn't work like that. People buy into fake things on purpose. They make fake things on purpose. They want to sell fake things. They want to get other people to believe things that just aren't true. And the complexity of the social relationships we have on real and not real, it runs really deep. And if we think about things that were physical and fake, like fake clothing or brands or things that got made, that was kind of fine because it was it was isolated. Fake was in its own little physical world. It was just in one place at a time. But on the internet, when we have fake things, the problems scale. It scales in a way that we've never seen before. And so when you have things like fake news and fake information that is pushed forward by people who have an agenda, a hidden agenda, then that can have an impact on the climate or it can have an impact on democracy. And so... This is really interesting. Another reason that it's really interesting right now is that the places that fake things spread, and I don't want to mention any names here, but I will let you know the person's initials, and they are Mark Zuckerberg. And so what happens is is that his whole business is based on the idea where something needs to be emotional and outrageous or it needs to be for a certain audience so it spreads. And so as much as they might act like they don't want fake things to spread, the one thing they want for sure is people to stay on their platform and to see the things that they already believe in and stay in their own wormholes. And so it's very hard to believe the rhetoric that we hear from tech companies who want to stamp out the same things that are very profitable for them. You know, when the internet first came out, it was kind of weird and cool. It was like we've got this bastion of truth and hope right in front of us. Like, you can't lie again anymore. Everyone remembers when we first got our smartphones and we'd be in the pub and someone would be just riffing on something which just sounded so untrue. And, like, the person couldn't even finish their sentence before we all pulled out our smartphones. Like, ah, we'll just go to Google, we'll just Google that. And it it was almost like the truth would become... Yeah, inevitable. It's like, okay, we've got the internet now. No one can lie ever again. But the more the tools get into the hands of the people, the more we get to game the system. Google doesn't know what the truth is. All Google knows is what's most popular. You know, it sure, it's meant to put the New York Times up the top and Wikipedia, but there are ways to game the systems. I mean, you can put different keywords and phrases in there. You can invent a language or a hashtag that people search and before Google's had a chance or the New York Times or Wikipedia's had a chance to catch up, 
then the thing that isn't real bubbles to the top. And we live in a first page society. If it's not on the first page, it doesn't exist. And so all you need to do to get the lies out there is to be the most shared, to be on the front page of Google. And the nefarious actors out there, the bad actors, they work that out. They work that out real quick. Samma raises a big point here. Let's look at this idea that Google's algorithm decides what we see when we're searching for the truth. At the moment, we type a query and we get to choose from 10 blue links. We can decide what we think is the truthful result. Now, things get really interesting when you look at the rise of voice technology. Think Alexa, Echo, Google and Apple Home. When we ask for a piece of information from them, we don't get a page with 10 blue links on it. We simply get one answer told to us. And we, as the innocent user, will take it as the truth. The one-shot answer. Now, this doesn't feel like a cool tech product or platform feature. This sounds like something that has potential to be a global propaganda machine. Potential to manipulate what everyone sees and believes as fact. This is one of the key things that governance and regulation are struggling to keep up with. We all love our tech. We love our free Gmail. We love being able to search for the nearest sushi. But you can see this comes at a cost which has some very scary side effects. We aren't going to put tech on trial in this episode, but rest assured, Future Sandwich will soon enough. Now, the internet is the best and worst thing that's ever happened to humanity. It gives us all the ability to connect with like-minded people and access all the knowledge in the world for free. But it also has an equally impactful dark side, which we all saw in full flight in 2016. As an investigative journalist, I found myself with a few questions about the emergence of fake news as a phrase and as a fad. But it wasn't until 2016 that the actual phrase fake news was introduced to the American public on a national scale. Liberals were first to heavily promote use of the phrase, referring to conservative disinformation and right-wing websites, and there's certainly plenty of that. Example, as Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton battled it out, a website called the Conservative Daily Post published a huge amount of pro-Trump, anti-Clinton propaganda under the name and likeness of a former beauty queen named Laura Hunter. The real Laura Hunter says she didn't write any of those articles. She claims imposters turned her into a spokesman for a radical right-wing website that peddles fake news. She sued them. Meantime, Trump and conservatives counterpunch with their own notion of fake news, meaning biased, sloppy, erroneous reporting, as committed by the mainstream media and the left. Plenty of that, too. Example, on President Trump's first day in office, a Time magazine reporter falsely reported that Trump had removed the bust statue of Martin Luther King from the Oval Office. The White House quickly tweeted out a photo showing the statue was still very much there. The reporter, perhaps blinded by his own bias, hadn't followed the most basic tenets of beginning journalism, check your facts. A noted propagandist told me, it's like a movie, he said, and it gave me chills at the time. Nearly every scene or image that crosses our path in daily life, he said, was put there for a reason, often by someone who paid a lot of money to place it there. What if the whole anti-fake news campaign was an effort on somebody's part to keep us from seeing or believing certain websites and stories by controversializing them or labeling them as fake news. But who would want to do such a thing? When connecting the dots, I find it often helps to follow the money. I wanted to know who was funding the nonprofit First Draft and its anti-fake news effort. 
I found the answer. It was Google. Google's parent company, Alphabet, was run by a man named Eric Schmidt. Eric Schmidt, as it happens, had devoted himself to Hillary Clinton's election campaign, offered himself up as a campaign advisor, and became a top multi-million dollar donor to it. His company funded first draft around the start of the election cycle. Not surprisingly, Hillary was soon to jump aboard the anti-fake news train, and her surrogate David Brock of Media Matters privately told donors he was the one who convinced Facebook to join the effort. I'm not the only one who thinks the whole thing smacked of the rollout of a propaganda campaign. Glenn Greenwald of The Intercept wrote, the most important fact you need to realize is that those who most loudly denounce fake news are typically the ones most aggressively disseminating it. But something happened that nobody expected. The anti-fake news campaign backfired. Each time advocates cried fake news, Donald Trump called them fake news until he'd co-opted the term so completely that even those who were originally promoting it started running from it, including the Washington Post, which in January of 2017 wrote, it's time to retire the tainted term fake news. In fact, it's now commonly misreported that it was Donald Trump who thought up the phrase. Actually, it was just a hostile takeover. Suffice it to say that each side now defines fake news in terms that call the other guy into question. So what's the lesson in all of this? I'm not here to litigate who's right, but I can tell you there are two ways to tell that powerful interests might be trying to manipulate your opinion. Number one, when the media seems to be trying to shape or censor facts and opinions rather than report them. Number two, when so many in the media are reporting the same stories, promulgating the same narratives, relying on the same sources, even using the same phrases. I mean, think of it, there are literally thousands of legitimate news stories that could be reported in a given day and an infinite number of ways to report them. When everybody's on the same page, it might be the result of an organized campaign. I'll leave you with a final thought and a warning. It's about a new catchphrase being bandied about, media literacy, as in we'll tell you who to trust and who not to trust. Media literacy advocates are busy trying to get state laws passed to require that their version of media literacy be taught in public schools. They're developing websites as resources for journalists and the public. They're partnering with universities. I think media literacy is a new name promoted by some of the same people who want to tell you what to believe. People with their own agendas using terms designed to fool you into thinking they're neutral authorities. What you need to remember is that when interests are working this hard to shape your opinion, their true goal might just be to add another layer between you and the truth. It's frightening and also kind of hysterical how gullible we all can be. Hype is something that we all buy into so easily. And Uber Butler figured out the official recipe for hype and cooked up one of the world's most famous fake truths of all time. The Shed is the number one rated restaurant in London. You've got every foodie, celebrity and blogger in the city trying to get a table. But the problem is, until now, it didn't exist. <laughs> For seven months, Vice reporter Uber Butler tricked TripAdvisor. It's like you blink and you're in the Groucho, you know what I mean? Can you believe that you managed to get to number one? You became the number one restaurant in London. After the Shed news hit the headlines, I spent 20 hours doing interviews back to back in like the Times, Tory Graph, 
in the Evening Standard as a cultural reference point. It's, it's an extraordinary story. It's a jaw-dropping well, story. Susanna Reid told me off on Good Morning Britain. It's a very naughty thing to do. My first writing job was writing fake reviews for restaurants. I would do that and they'd give me a tenner. Boom. Businesses' fortunes would genuinely be transformed. That made me see TripAdvisor as like a false reality that everyone took completely seriously. Over the years I just thought the only bit of TripAdvisor that is unfakeable is a restaurant itself. And one day I thought, oh maybe it is actually fakeable. <laughs> so how am I going to do this? Over the next few months, I'm going to get my friends to write fake reviews. They're going to pretend that they've been at the shed at Dulwich and they had an amazing time. But what's important in that is that, you know, if one person was to say, oh, the steak and kidney pie was amazing, and then another person said, it's the best Regan restaurant in South London, then it would make no sense, would it? So we need consistency pointers. One, you eat outside. Two, it's weird as fuck. Three, it's homely, which means tiny. And four, it's an appointment only place because imagine if people started showing up here. To get verified on TripAdvisor, you need a phone. This is gonna be my trap phone and uh, yeah, the Shed at Dulwich now has its landline. I needed a website, theshedatdulwich.com. Some photos that did the trick. Okay, so today I've been doing the um the photos of the, the food that we're going to serve at the shed. For starters, we have the pan-fried shallots with a side of sea foam, season with some parsley. Pan-fried toilet blocks, power blocks. Really douse that in honey because, uh, you know, it's a bit, it's a bit sour. Uh, and you end up with something like this. For the main, it is our very own ham hock. Oh boy, it's just the ham hock. And smears of honey and seasoning. People don't order meals, they order moods instead. Love, a meal that makes your heart swell. I remember this because I was like trying to do a meal that would give you a heart attack. Contemplation, a deconstructed Aberdeen stew. Served with a warmed beef tea. Can I have comfort, please? It said it was served in a 600 TC thread count uh, Egyptian cotton bowl. <laughs> Laughing at my own jokes, really appealing part of my character. All right, lust. Rabbit kidneys on toast, seasoned with saffron and an oyster bisque, served with a side of pomegranate souffle. That wasn't that funny. The shed at Dulwich was officially verified on TripAdvisor. This is one of the reviews that was left on the shed at Dulwich. This is the kind of tone of the review. This was like spam. If you enjoy chef's table, you'll love it here. As the sun was setting, we were offered blankets. We politely declined, one had a stain on, but a nice touch. Adds to the alfresco feel. Hello? Um, I wanted to book a table for two. I just want to know what your was. Well, we're kind of, we are booked up on weekends up until sort of uh, the next sort of six weeks. Um. The more reviews that went up, the more buzz developed, the higher it climbed, and the more people called me. Tonight is fully booked. We are fully booked today. Pretty damn sure that's gonna be fully booked. Number 121. It just keeps on getting more ridiculous. TV execs are trying to use their work emails to get tables at the restaurant. How many uh, Instagram followers do you have? 
Sorry, do you mind if I just... How many Instagram followers do you have? Oh, okay, great. I can't see why not. Wednesday looks great. Hello, sorry about that. Just had another call through. We're fully booked on Wednesday. Sorry. Um, okay, you've just took a call for Wednesday, just done. Sorry, that's someone that we knew. Hundreds of people who have tried to get a table here, I've not given one of them a table, and that is driving them mad. It's going to be quite an erotic shoot going on in the restaurant. Yeah. yeah. Would you be comfortable with that? Uh, no, sorry, yeah, we are fully booked that night. Things, like, started to get a bit out of hand. People were applying for jobs at my non-existent restaurant. People started using Google Maps as an estimated location of my house to send packages to my house. If people actually know where I live, like, does that not become dangerous? Like, it seems that that's, like, maybe going up the, on the path to, like, the wrong kind of prank. It's number one out of 18,000 restaurants in London. <laughs> like any of the Michelin star, it's, a, it's rated better. <laughs> it doesn't exist. It's quarter past 10. Um, and my phone is literally not stopping for the past five hours. <clears throat> it's been like this like most nights now. I, have n I can't see any other logical end to this now apart from giving the people what they want and just opening the thing and just making it exactly the restaurant that I've created in everyone's minds. And if you want to see what happens next, check out the full documentary at futuresandwich.com. So where is all this going? Let's close the episode with a big, sobering thought from Sammer that makes all this feel kind of small. So we have fake news and we have deep fakes, but... What about in a future where we actually have fake humans? So I used to think that the idea of robots having rights was a crazy idea for weirdo techno-utopians. Like, how can something that doesn't feel have rights? I mean, that's silly. There's people in the world that don't have rights yet. But then I got to thinking, what if we get to a stage where we can't tell the difference between a fake person and a real person? And I'm not talking about the fake person on Instagram. We all, we all know that, you know, Instagram filters make everyone look amazing and they're fake and their lives aren't real. We know that. But what about if I could have a robot version, a humanoid version of me with a soft exoskeleton that sweats, that knows everything I know, that has a download of all of my knowledge, that is the same height and looks exactly the same as me. What happens when we have a world where we can't tell whether or not that person is real? In that world, then you need to have robots with rights because you can't have someone saying well I killed that thing I thought it was a robot I didn't know it was a human I thought it was Steve's robot version of him and this stuff's coming I mean this stuff will happen and so the fake problem we've got now while we think fake news might be a big deal wait until we have fake people and the people you're talking to not just on the phone but in real life standing next to you what about if we don't know if that person's real that's when stuff gets real Nothing like a soundbite from Sammer to help you sleep at night. So that's it for another episode. Big thanks to our guests, Cheryl Ackerson. You can see her full TED Talk in the show notes. And the full story of Uber's Shed of Dulwich is available to view there also. And
And as always, thanks to Maddie Thompson for editing this like a boss. Subscribe to our newsletter at futuresandwich.com and follow us on all the socials. We're always keen to get your feedback and ideas for the show. Also, we're now serving Future Sandwich on Spotify, so get on it. Thanks for listening and see you again in the not-too-distant future.